Hi there, welcome to the Neurodivergent Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Griffith, and I am so excited to have you here. On this podcast, we talk about all forms of neurodivergence, from ADHD to learning disorders to giftedness to autism and more. If any of that sounds familiar, welcome to Neurodivergent Magic. Hello, guys, gals, and non-binary pals. Welcome back to the Neurodivergent Magic Podcast. I am so excited for today's episode. I know I say that every time, but I just can't help it. Today, we have an incredible guest, Malia Christensen. She is here to talk about trauma. I think neurodivergence and trauma go together like two very unfortunate peas in a pod. Uh, And so I invited her on the podcast to enlighten us a little bit about trauma, and I really think you're going to love what she has to say. So let's dive on into it. Hi, Malia. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing well. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm good. I am so excited to have you on. Um, Why don't you give like a brief introduction, just tell our listeners a little bit about you and um, what you do. Sure. Um, My name is Malia Christensen. I have a website called maliarose.com and I help women with past trauma to have healthier, safer, more loving, intimate relationships. Yeah. So I just started a program called Shifting Love and it helps women to navigate how their past trauma has influenced their intimate relationships. And it helps them work through things like how trauma is stored in the body, things like boundaries, communication, attachment styles, um, and just things that they feel like are holding them back from having the relationships that they want. Yeah, which is so meaningful. Yeah, I'm also um, just finishing up graduate school to become a therapist. I start having therapist clients in January, so I'm super excited. And um, I've had my own history of trauma as well. So I think my, my background is both personal and educational, and I'm just super passionate about it. So it's a little bit about me. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think um, if you're listening, I decided to have Malia on the show because I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, trauma and neurodivergence and how they go together and how they don't and um, some symptoms or traits that can be confused for one another. So we're not necessarily here to draw a hard line between like, this is definitely always trauma and this is definitely always neurodivergence because let's be honest, those lines are few and far between. Um, If we're honest, everything's a lot blurrier than that. Uh, But it is important to talk about these things and how they go together and all of that. So that's what we're gonna do today. Um, Let's start out with talking about like what what is trauma? Like, how would you explain it? I know that's a big question, but just if our listeners don't know. Yeah, sure. So I like to think of trauma as a significant event or series of events that disrupts the mind, body, and spirit for a long period of time. And I like to also view trauma as big T trauma and little t trauma. And big T trauma is more of a you know, significant singular event that happens, um, maybe like a car accident or something like that, where it's just, or an assault. And it is like, you know, life before the event and after the event and little T trauma is more of the ongoing chronic stressors that leave somebody feeling really helpless and traumatized and, it just ends up feeling like it was too much for them to handle and it all happened way too quickly and they didn't have the resources to take care of themselves and work through it in a healthy way. 
Right. So hearing you explain it that way, um, it feels to me like simply existing as a neurodivergent person in a neurotypical society feels like little t trauma. Does that Uh, resonate with you? It totally does because, you know, as I've said to you before, I'm not super, super knowledgeable about neurodivergence, but I also know that there are ongoing struggles that people don't understand. You can feel really misunderstood, really invalidated. Um, I imagine super confused sometimes and just feeling like that is an ongoing process. Yes, I would say that people can experience a lot of little t trauma um, being neurodivergent. Right. So just to share a little bit of my like personal story, I suppose, like I have experienced little t trauma in the form of invalidation and that invalidation, um, consistently looked like, you know, stop feeling the way you're feeling. Why do you feel that way? It doesn't make sense. And, um, for a long time, I thought that I deserved my trauma because I was the problem, right? I was the one feeling things that didn't make sense. I was the one who saw the world in a way that didn't make sense. And so it felt like I couldn't call it trauma because it was just the natural consequences of being an incorrect person. Mm. And um, I think realizing that I'm neurodivergent, realizing that I'm autistic has been really helpful for me to understand that that's why those traumas happened. It was because I was a neurodivergent person born into a family that didn't necessarily understand neurodivergence, which is very, very common by the way. And uh, just because your parents do not understand neurodivergence does not mean that they don't love you. It just means they don't get you. Um, And those are not the same, which is something I am learning. (laughs) Totally. And I just want to add too, like neurodivergence, I am literally trained to be a therapist and I know very little about it. So I'm sure that like your parents, you know, especially really didn't understand what was going on. And have you, I'm curious to know if you've like talked to them about it recently and and told them about what you're experiencing now, what this means to you, how they're responding. Um, I am working on it. I am attempting to talk to them about it. Um, because of the invalidation I experienced growing up, I've learned that my feelings are not always safe, um, with other people. And so I tend to keep them to myself unless I'm oversharing on the internet like this, in which case everything (laughs) is fair game. Uh, Um, I'm totally comfortable in front of a microphone, in front of a video camera, but in front of actual people, I totally clam up. Uh, so I'm working on it. It's something I'm working on to try to talk to the people in my life more instead of talking to them through my blog or through my podcast. So yeah, that's something that we're working on together. Good. Yeah. I'm sure that if, and when you're ready to talk to them about it, I hope that you get the validation that you've been hoping for and needing from them. Um, And, you know, also in a way, because neurodivergence and having autism is an ongoing um, can you help me out with the word? It's an ongoing sort of like journey? Yeah, it's an ongoing journey. You know, it just, it's something that you learn to accept and live with. Um, 
And I imagine that that can just feel really confusing for you if you don't feel validated already. Um, or if you end up not feeling validated and you're like, well, I literally can't change this. Nothing can cure this. And it's just something that I have to live with and um, trying to navigate having a relationship with family members who may not understand that. Right. Exactly. Trying to explain to them, like, not only does this not have a cure, but I don't want it to have a cure. Right. And trying to help them to understand that, like my brain works differently and I wouldn't change it. Uh, because I think that is where the miscommunication often comes in. It's, I think a lot of parents, um, if, if you are neurodivergent and you have a hard time understanding why your parents did what they did when they were raising you, I would encourage you to sort of think of it this way. And this may not apply to everybody, but I think it applies to a lot of people. A lot of parents know that their kid is different. Even if they don't understand neurodivergence, they understand that something is a little different about their kid. And they have a very deep intuitive understanding that life is going to be harder for them. And they don't want that to be true. And so they try to change you, not because they don't love you the way you are, but because they want life to be easier for you. That's really all it is. And that can feel like a very deep and painful rejection of who you are. And I think that's where the little T trauma and everything comes in. Um, and I think a lot of neurodivergent people experience this. And I just, I want you to know, like you, you are under no obligation to do any sort of forgiving if um, that's not in your journey. Um, but if you're looking for a way to understand the point of view, your parents may have had, um, I would encourage you to think of it that way. Mm, that's really beautiful. I love that you said that. And yeah, I don't, I don't believe that forgiveness is necessarily, um, always appropriate, you know, and it doesn't always happen for people and that's okay. And, um, yeah, I love how you said that. Yeah. Do you think you could talk a little bit more about trauma and forgiveness and how they do and don't go together? Because I think there's a lot of anger and frustration in the neurodivergent community about the trauma that we've like endured from parents, perhaps, but oftentimes from society at large. Oh my gosh, I can imagine like even in school and bullying and stuff like that. I'm, I'm sure that that can that has a really big influence and impact on your life. And yeah, you know. Forgiveness, I feel like I see a lot of information out there about how important it is to forgive, to forgive your perpetrator, to forgive your parents for hurting you or, you know, invalidating you, to forgive the people who have harmed you in any way and caused that trauma. Um, but that can make trauma survivors feel really, really invalidated because they're like, why am I not allowed to be angry about this? Why can't I just hold this anger towards this person forever? And while I think that there is so much power in forgiving, having, you know, telling somebody, well, you have to just forgive them to move on. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's necessary. Um, and, you know, as long as you can, I think that forgiveness happens mostly for trauma survivors. And this happened in my case was when I learned how to forgive myself um, for how I survived, for the things that I did when I didn't know how to cope or how to have healthy relationships or how to get my needs met. You know, I had really unhealthy behaviors and toxic patterns come up because 
you know, because of my trauma that I didn't understand how to deal with and manage. So I think that forgiving myself has been a really long journey and it's still something I work on every day. Um, but you know, if somebody were to tell me that I need to forgive somebody to move forward, I don't necessarily feel like that's true. And it can feel really overwhelming and really disempowering because people don't know how to forgive until the time is right. And maybe you reach that point and maybe you don't. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely agree with everything. And I love that you talk about self-forgiveness because I think so often in the neurodivergent community, we try to turn ourselves into someone that we're not, um, in order to fit in. And we end up harming ourselves in really profound ways when we do that. And I think it does take a certain amount of self-forgiveness to move forward from that. So I'm putting you on the spot here. So it's okay if you don't have an answer right away, but if you had to say like, what are the first three steps to self-forgiveness? Ooh, that is a really great question. Okay. So I would say, first of all, I would say learning how to look at your past behaviors or your past patterns or, you know, something that you regret, anything that follows you around as objectively as you can see it kind of take a step back from it and view it as you know this is what was happening in the situation i was in because i didn't know any differently and kind of reframing that idea of like i caused this i'm bad i you know fucked up sorry if i'm not allowed to swear it's okay i'll mark it explicit you're fine <laughs> um you know like it kind of just removes that shame from it when we can take a step back and look at how we showed up in the world from an objective lens. And then just having compassion for the part of yourself who was hurt and who didn't have any other opportunities to have quote unquote correct behavior in certain situations with certain people, you know, forgiving yourself or having compassion for the, the part of you who didn't understand how to make things work in the way that a healthier version of yourself would later down the road. Um, and then I feel like when you're, when you're able to have compassion for yourself, it makes it a lot easier to just kind of you know, when I've been practicing for, you know, self-forgiveness, I will look at it objectively, kind of reframe it a little bit to remove myself from the shame of it, um, have compassion for where I was in that moment and what I did know and what I didn't know. And I will literally just put a hand on my heart and send like a warm light into my chest and just say, I'm sorry, you know, talking to like that wounded part of you, like, I'm sorry, I forgive you. I'm here for you. I support you. And kind of just reparenting yourself because, you know, when we were young and those things were happening or as an adult, when those things are happening, you just want to be loved. You want to be nurtured. You want to be comforted. You want to feel safe. 
And when you can't feel those things or you don't receive those things, um, a huge part of forgiveness, I think, can be you didn't know any better, you know, telling yourself you did the best you could with what you had, you know, like you would talk to a child who was having these, these difficulties, if they came up to you and they were like, I'm so mad at myself, you know, like, I hate that I acted this way, or I hate that I did this. And just kind of, how would you respond to a child who came up to you in that way? And um, yeah, I think that's, that's been my process of forgiveness. Hi there, everybody. I just want to take a minute to interrupt this podcast episode to tell you all about my program, Neurodivergent Magic, get shit done in 24 hours or less. Executive dysfunction is one of the number one problems for neurodivergent folks. And if you don't know, executive dysfunction is basically when you really want to do something, you are trying to do something and you just can't get yourself to do it. This is one of the biggest issues amongst neurodivergent people. And I have learned so much on how to cope with it that I want to pass it on to you. In this nine-week group coaching program, we will cover both the emotional side of executive dysfunction and the practical side. So you will learn practical tools for how to cope with it, but you'll also tackle the emotional blocks that make executive dysfunction come back over and over again. If this program sounds right for you, make sure you check out the link in the show notes. I would absolutely love to see you in Neurodivergent Magic. Yeah, that is so powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think a lot of people are going to get so much out of all of that and have like a starting place somewhere to start from. And so thank you. Thank you for that. I do wonder if some people might hear you talking about inner child work and reparenting and say, but I'm not a child. I'm a grown up, and I deserve to feel this bad. I deserve to beat myself up. What would you say to those people? Yeah, so just to give you a little bit of background on what inner child, what an inner child is. Um, so when we're young, we have all of these experiences. We have joyful experiences, curiosity, we're playful, we're silly. And those are also the times of our lives where we experience the most rejection. We experience the first time we experience pain, the first time we experience you know, invalidation or telling you that you can't act a certain way, feel a certain way, behave a certain way, um, be a certain way. And while you're an adult, those younger parts of you still live within you. And therapists like to call that your inner child. And it's the person, it is the, it is the childlike experiences that you had when you were young that you carried with you that haven't necessarily been healed or tended to or nurtured in the way that it was needed when you were young. And so reparenting yourself can be a really, really, really beautiful way to talk to those parts of you who feel, who felt invalidated in the past, because if you feel super invalidated in the future, it's most likely your inner child coming up and wanting those wounds to be repaired and to be healed. And you can do that for yourself by acting like the parent you didn't have or that you wish you had in those moments. Yeah. Yeah. And I personally have found reparenting to be, um, super incredibly helpful for sure. And I've definitely had those moments where I'm like, I'm an adult, like I deserve to feel really terrible about this. And it's all about, you know, gently reminding yourself that, 
you're an adult, but like you were saying, like you just said, the, you have the inner child within you and they need taken care of right now. And you are the adult. It's your job to take care of them gently and, you know, warmly. Yeah. Um, so I also wanted, you mentioned your, uh, program shifting love, and you talked a little bit about intimate relationships and attachment. I was just wondering, um, how you think growing up undiagnosed neurodivergent might impact a person's attachment style or might impact their intimate relationships. If you have any insights on that. Yes. So before I do that, I would love if you could give me a little bit of your own experience about how, how relationships have gone for you and what it felt like for you to recognize that you were neurodivergent. And then I think I can give you a better answer. Absolutely. So when it comes to realizing I was neurodivergent, um, I think I have always felt vaguely misunderstood and vaguely alien. Um, I have like vivid memories of trying to talk to people and having them just stare at me, like not having a clue what I was talking about. And I, I was like, did I accidentally speak a different language? Like what's going, I just didn't understand. And other people didn't seem to understand me. Um, but I didn't really think about it. I guess I just assumed, okay, something is wrong with me and that's it. I guess I'll just live my whole life trying to be a good enough person. And I honestly didn't feel very traumatized by that. That felt like fact. And so it felt safe in a certain way. Um, and then I went to college, I moved out and I was around a different group of people and started to realize like, Hey, these thought patterns are not super duper healthy. Um, (laughs) thinking you're inherently not good enough is like, not okay. Um, and so I started to realize something was going on with my mental health. And then, you know, I've thought I've had just about everything in the DSM at this point. Um, but finally settling on neurodivergence because it feels like it explains the most, it explains things the best, um, and autism specifically. So that's, that's sort of how I came to figure out at age 27 that I'm autistic. Um, (laughs) just realizing that, um, other people didn't see the world the way I did. Uh, I always just assumed everyone saw the world the same way I did. And, um, I'm realizing that they, they don't. So, um, when it comes to relationships, I think you were talking about intimate relationships. I went on dates with three people in my entire life. Um, one date with one person, one date with another person. And then I met my husband and that was it. (laughs) So that's really, really beautiful. I love that. It is. It's really beautiful. And like, he was the first person I really liked the other two. I think one was just a prom date and the other one, I I accidentally went on a date with him. It was not on purpose. Um, (laughs) So that was a whole other thing, again, with the autism and misunderstanding people's social cues. I had no idea this person was asking me on a date at all. Um, So, but yeah, when it comes to like intimate relationships with my partner, with my, with my husband, um, I don't know, it actually went very well. It went so well that I've often doubted my uh, mental illness and neurodivergence. Cause it's like, no, aren't I supposed to have all these messed up attachment patterns? Like because of trauma and all this stuff, like maybe I'm not really traumatized because my relationship with my husband is beautiful. <laughs> okay. So 
I think that this would be a really great opportunity to talk about co-regulation. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the term, but co-regulation, it sounds like that's what was happening with your partner, because when we have somebody who can attune to us and see us and validate us, um, you know, our nervous system realizes that we're safe. And so we're kind of creating this safety net between two people. And so when somebody's dysregulated, for example, they're having crying spells, they're anxious, they're having panic attacks, they're, you know, just stuck in a shame spiral, anything. And a person who is across from you, who has a secure attachment style and, you know, is grounded within themselves and can, and can see you and empathize with you and feel you, it creates this space where you're co-regulating your emotions, your nervous system, and you're kind of settling into the space where you feel safe together. And so that makes complete sense why he's your partner, because he was able to do that for you. And the, the problem or the challenges really start to arise when we get into a partnership with somebody who we don't co-regulate with. And it's not necessarily your fault. It's not necessarily the person's fault. It's just like sometimes your energies don't help each other to relax and to feel safe and to feel, you know, nurtured in a intimate setting. That completely makes sense. Totally. I love that you emphasize that it's not necessarily your fault or your partner's fault that sometimes partnerships, um, just aren't like, like you said, don't offer themselves to co-regulation. And that's, I, an essential part of an intimate relationship, especially with when you have a history of trauma. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And I think that validation aspect is also an essential part of a relationship. When you are a late diagnosed neurodivergent person, you have got to be in a relationship with somebody who can validate your experience, even if they don't necessarily understand it. I know my husband is the most neurotypical person you will ever meet in your life. Um, I try to explain to him my experiences and he's like, I love you so much. What are you talking about? (laughs) So (laughs) they don't have to get it. They just have to get you. And that is like such a powerful distinction because there have definitely been people in my life who they understood what I was going through, but they didn't get me. And Mm. my husband doesn't always understand what I'm going through, but he sees, this sounds so cheesy, but like he sees my soul. He sees like who I actually am and he likes it. And that's totally mind blowing to me. (laughs) (laughs) Not mind blowing to me, but, um, Yeah, I think that I just had something that came up when you were talking about all of that. Dang it, now I lost it because I just got wrapped up in your really cute comment about how your husband sees your soul. (laughs) No. Um, Let's see, I was talking about how they don't have to get your issues, they just have to understand you. Yeah, yeah. So, especially with trauma, too, I shouldn't say especially because it's, you know, whether you have neurodivergence, whether you are neurodivergent or you have a history of trauma, you know, if you are a trauma survivor and you have a traumatic experience or a series of of experiences where somebody, no matter how hard you try to explain it, nobody's going to get it. Nobody's going to get it ever. You are never going to be able to accurately portray the situation to the degree that they really fully get it. But when people take the time and the energy to try to understand you and to listen and to 
um, validate your experiences, like what your husband does by saying, you know, I don't know what you're talking about, but I love you so much. <laughs> you know, he's trying to understand and he's not telling you that you are overreacting. He's not telling you that you're making things up or anything that makes you feel like you're the crazy one. Um, so that's a huge part of co-regulation as well. Like feeling like that person is trying to understand you and to be with you in that experience and vice versa. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I think, uh, John Green has a video about his son trying to explain to him, like he got bit by an ant and he was like, daddy, it felt like this. And he pinched him. And there's this like, it's just part of the human experience that we cannot feel each other's pain. Exactly. All we can do is come up with these like crude approximations and that's what language is. That's what that pinch was, you know, it's, this is the best we can do. I think the, the closest I've come is through poetry. I think, uh, when my husband reads my poems, he's like, I, did not know that you felt like this. And I'm like, but I told you I felt like this. And he's like, but you didn't tell me like this. And so that's been the closest I've ever come to feeling like completely and wholly seen. And I think everybody has their thing that makes them feel totally seen. And for me, it's, it's usually writing and poetry, but I think everybody has their thing. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's beautiful. Um, so the last question I wanted to ask you was, my brain just went completely blank. So it ran away from me. This is what happens when you have a neurodivergent person running a podcast. You're going to lose your train of thought. <laughs> this is what happens when you have an overheating, exhausted person as a host too. So you're, <laughs> you're not alone. <laughs> I think the last thing I was going to ask is about coping. Uh, yes, that's, that's what it was. Um, what are some of your top tips for coping with trauma? Um, if you have anything specific for neurodivergent folks, that would be, you know, chef's kiss. Perfect. But no pressure on that because I know that's not necessarily your field of expertise. Your field of expertise is the trauma. Yeah, totally. So I, I think that creation and creativity, like you said, um, how you get, you know, just you, you're able to really feel seen and understood and validated through your poetry and your writing. Um, I think that that's a really, really important part of coping because it can get us into a flow state where we're, you know, out of our minds and into expressing ourselves in a way. And I know that for women with trauma and, you know, anybody with trauma that, creating or expressing themselves is sometimes really, really, really challenging because many trauma survivors, especially if they've had long-term abuse, like they grow up and they don't know who they are. They don't know what they like. They don't know what they dislike. They don't know what they're interested in. They kind of have just been existing. And so learning how to, first of all, learning and exploring maybe what you like um, I think a great way to place to start is to do the same things that you loved as a child. So if you love to draw, grab your pencils. If you loved to dance, go and put on some music, you know, and just connecting with that part of yourself who knew how to play. And um, another thing for coping that has been literally game changing for me is just focusing on my breath because 
when you're focusing on your breath, and I know it sounds super cliche and everybody says it like, oh, breathing is so important, but like truly it is the way that we connect with our body. It is literally the thing that gives us life. And when we can connect with ourselves through breathing, it can help us, you know, get into a calmer state. It can help us think more clearly and trauma survivors actually hold their, they, they've gone through life and they've gone through such traumatizing events that they realize that they don't really breathe. So even just taking like a super, super deep breath in and out five to 10 times and just sitting with yourself and allowing yourself to be in your body. Um, and if you feel like you can't be in your body because it's just too much and it's too overwhelming, it's a really great place to find support. Um, because it can be really overwhelming for trauma survivors. And I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like I know a little bit about neurodivergence and how it can be really difficult to just kind of sit still and to be in place. Is that me generalizing or is that just your experience? Is that like kind of a common thread? I think, <clears throat> I think every neurodivergent person is different. So there's almost yeah. nothing you can say about neurodivergence that applies to all of us, but right. generally speaking, a lot of neurodivergent people do, we have trouble sitting still and being with our feelings for a variety of different reasons. Um, whether it's, you know, ADHD and, uh, having trouble, um, not moving our body and stimming and fidgeting, or whether it's, you know, past trauma and having trouble, um, sitting with our feelings because our feelings feel confusing and unsafe. Um, I think there's lots of reasons that neurodivergent people, we do, we have, we tend to have issues uh, sitting still for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the breathing part can be really challenging. And if that's the case, um, going on walks, getting outside, um, it just kind of removes you from your environment. It helps you connect to what's around you and it helps get your breathing going a little bit more. So even if you're not intentionally focusing on your breath, but by the way you're moving, you're going to breathe a little bit deeper, a little bit fuller and just connect to your body a little bit more. Absolutely. I love that you mentioned walks. I go on walks almost every day. It feels mm -hmm. very good. <laughs> yeah, they're important. I feel like walking, you know, uh, I've been struggling with Lyme disease for the last year. So I haven't been able to go on as many walks and I notice a difference in my well-being because walking is just, it seems so small and insignificant, but like it really is just such a powerful form of exercise and movement and connection. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so, so, so much for joining me on the podcast today. Like I, I am so grateful that my people are going to have access to your knowledge and your wisdom about trauma. I think we need it. We need more of what you're putting out in the world. So, um, let people know where can they find you? Where can they follow you? Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at Malia Rose and that's spelled M E L E A H dot Rose, R-O-S-E. Um, and then my website is also maliarose.com. Um, literally come and say hi. Like I love having conversations with people. So if you come follow me on Instagram, I will most likely just reach out anyways, because I like to have those connections, especially in this online space, but please don't be shy. Like I love having conversations with people and I would love to know a little bit more about your story and what you've experienced with trauma and being neurodivergent. 
Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much again for being here. And um, thank you so much for sharing with us. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. This was really, really eye-opening for me as well. It was really um, helpful for me to know more about neurodivergence as a future therapist. And it's really inspiring me to learn more about it because I think since my my schooling was so trauma-based, I missed out on, on the autistic factors that come into people's lives and they're very, very real and they're very important to know about. So I appreciate you. Awesome. I appreciate you too. All right. Thank you everybody for listening. I will see you next Saturday. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you give us a follow over on Spotify, leave a review over on Apple podcasts and tune in next Saturday for another amazing episode.